Our Lord, we really are grateful for your word that we are able to hear you and know you through it. We ask, we humbly ask that you would open our eyes so that we can see all the wonderful things in your word. And even as we sit under your word this morning, help us, Lord, to not merely be listeners of your word and so deceive ourselves, but help us to do what it says. For all of that, for us to have eyes to see the wonderful things and for us to have ears to hear the truth that we need to hear and even for us to have hearts to believe it and hands to do it, we are utterly dependent on you. So we ask and pray that you would help. And we know that it's your delight to do so. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Seven Mile Road, we are now in week nine of this series that we're calling More. And in case this is your first week with us, uh, this is what we've been doing. You see, God has graciously allowed us to celebrate 10 years together as a church. And as we look forward from these 10 years, whether he gives us one more year or 10 more years or 100 more years, we're using this series to say this thing. We say, we're trying to say, listen, we don't want to just coast in these upcoming years. We don't want to just put our church on cruise control and kind of live off of the past. No, instead, we are asking God for more. So week after week, we have been asking God to give us more. More love for him, more love for his presence, more love for one another, more unity, and so on and so forth. Well, this week, we're continuing to ask God for more. This morning, we're specifically asking God that he would give us more love for our children. More love for our children. Now, if this is your first Sunday at Seven Mile Road, it might be easy for you to realize why we're asking God to give us more love for our children. Because sometimes Seven Mile Road can look more like Chuck E. Cheese than it does at church, right? There's juice boxes all over the place and car seats all over the place and children are running here and there and screaming. It's, all, it's crazy. In fact, on any given Sunday, we'll have about, about 180 adults in this building and roughly 150 children also with us, right? Consider that. There's almost as many children as there are adults in this building. Children make up a significant portion of our church. And right now, many of them are very young. But we realize we're going to blink our eyes, and all of a sudden, 5-year-olds will become 15-year-olds. Or 12-year-olds will become 22-year-olds. And so we realize that these are some of the most important and significant and formative years in these children's lives. And so this morning, we are asking God for help. We need help. We're asking God to help us to love our children even more in these upcoming years. And that's why I'm so grateful for Psalm 127. You see, it's a really short passage, but it's filled with so many truths for us to consider. In fact, I just want us to consider three things this morning. First, I want us to consider a really fundamental truth that we hear in the scriptures, a basic premise about children. And then from there, we're going to consider two simple ways for us to love our children more from this passage, two ways that can shape the way how we approach these formative years of their life. And so here's the plan, okay? I'm going to, we're going to consider this text together. I'm going to preach from this text. Then we're going to hear from a panel of some practical ways for us to love our children more. And then we'll spend some time in prayer. That's the plan. Sound good? Okay. Now, before we can get to the two ways that we can love our children more, I think this passage wants us to establish just a, a basic fundamental premise regarding our, our kids, a fundamental truth that he wants us to know. It's actually found in verse 3. Take a look. This is verse 3. It says, Behold, 
Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. It says that children are a heritage, a reward. In fact, some translations will make that word heritage a gift. So they're saying children are a gift, a reward. Now, maybe at first reading, there's nothing terribly challenging or mind-blowing about that statement, especially in a room like this, right? Maybe the idea that children are a gift would be readily received. But I think if we were to be honest, in our culture, in our world, in this day and age, we don't always see children that way. Now, instead, instead of seeing children as, as a blessing, sometimes we can see them as a burden. I remember uh, visiting Elvin and Tina, who are a part of our church, uh, when they moved to San Francisco. They lived out in San Francisco for some time. I remember when they moved out there, I was, we were hanging out and we were talking, and they were telling us that when they moved to San Francisco, they would often get stares from people for being a family of five, for having three children. Because you see, in a place like San Francisco, where startups and, and, and careers are such a big deal, having many children can be seen as sort of a, a career killer. It can be seen as illogical for somebody who wants to move forward and, and grow in their profession. But you see, it's not even just San Francisco, right? All kinds of people from all kinds of places can feel this way. That children can sort of get in the way of travel or finances or personal goals or even just personal time. That children are not blessings to be cherished, but burdens to be avoided. But you see, God's word is really clear. Children are not a burden. They are a gift, the scriptures say. In fact, the psalmist keeps on going and he says this. Look at verse 4 and 5. It says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, when you read that, you feel like, what is going on there, right? What is the psalmist saying? He says that children are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Think about it, right? What do arrows provide for a warrior? Arrows provide protection for a warrior. Arrows provide uh, a well-being for a warrior. So what the psalmist is doing here is he's painting a picture using an illustration to give one example of how children are a gift. He's saying this, basically. He's saying that the, the children we raise when we are young can in turn provide protection and well-being for us when we are old. Does that make sense? He's saying that as we grow older and confront the hardships and enemies of this world, we will have someone to fight for us, to fight on our behalf. Now, obviously, that's not the only reason why children are a gift but it's a simple illustration of the blessing that children can provide for us. In fact, because of that, the psalmist says that blessed is the man who has a quiver full of children. A quiver is actually a container that you would put arrows into, right? That's what a quiver is. And the psalmist is saying here, the more arrows you have, the more protection or the more well-being you will have. Or in other words, the more children you have, the greater protection and well-being a parent can have. Now hear me, right? The point of this passage is not to ultimately tell you how many children you should have, right? That's what your mother-in-law is for, right? You don't need this passage. <laughs> Nor is it saying that you should ultimately have children because they will serve as a security blanket for you when you get older. That's not the point. It's just simply trying to communicate a simple fact that children 
are, in fact, a gift from God, a blessing, a reward. And for the children who are here with us this morning, can you just listen to me for a second? I really want you to be able to hear that this morning. You are a gift to us. You are a wonderful gift to us. We consider you such a great blessing to this church. We love the fact, actually, that our gatherings are filled with you on Sundays and throughout the week. We love that. In fact, I want you to hear that your pastors pray for you often. We pray for your safety and for your protection and for your well-being. We pray that you would know Jesus and love him from a really young age, that you would be spared of all kinds of sins. We pray for those things often. We are so glad that you belong to this family. We honestly would not want it any other way. We hope you hear that. We love you all dearly, and we really want you to know that you are a gift to us. You see, 7 Mile Road, Psalm 127 wants us to just be clear about a basic premise, that children are a gift, a reward from God. Now, before we move on, can I just make two quick clarifications regarding this truth? Two things that I want you to know. The fact that children are a gift or a reward from God doesn't mean that the inverse is also true. The fact that children are a gift or a reward doesn't mean that the inverse is also true. You see, children are a reward. But that doesn't mean that if you're here this morning and you don't have children, that somehow you're, trying, you're being punished by God. Would you hear that? I mean, man, there is, there is so much to be said about this. And I realize that a, a quick tangent won't do it justice. You see, the word reward that's being used here isn't, isn't being used to communicate this idea that children are given to parents as a result of something that they've done, that they've earned it or merited it. Instead, this, the text here is saying, and texts all over the scriptures are saying, children are a gift, an undeserved gift. And because that's true, then we also need to know that the lack of biological children is not to be considered a punishment. Please hear that the scriptures are filled with examples of godly women and godly families who were unable to have biological children. And those examples by no means were an act of punishment from God. It was not. Miscarriages and infertilities, these are not the result of sin or judgment from God. Would you hear that? Listen. If you're here this morning and you're currently struggling to have children, would you know that our hearts grieve with you? We genuinely, our hearts mourn with you this morning. And we realize that Seven Mile Road sometimes is not the easiest place for you to be when you're desiring your own children. It could be really hard walking in here Sunday after Sunday. We realize that. And I know sometimes that in the midst of seeing all these children, in the midst of desiring children for yourself, we feel like we are being punished. And maybe we can find ourselves asking why. Well, I don't know that I can answer the why, but I do want to clearly tell you the why not. It's not an act of punishment. It's not because of sin. And it's not because God has forgotten you. Please hear that. Again, there's so much that can and should be said about this, but I, I pray that you would hear that, even as a promise from God. 
Secondly, when the scriptures say that children are a gift, it's important for us to remember that all children are a gift. Not just the children that are contained within these four walls. All children are a gift. Children in our city, children in our country, and children across the globe. And that's why we're so grateful that we're able to love children all around the world. That's why we're grateful that we get to partner with an organization like Bombay Teen Challenge. Year after year, we get to raise money, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I think this past year, we raised $470,000 to be able to provide care and protection and education for children who are rescued from human trafficking in the city of Mumbai. Children that we will never see with our own eyes, that we won't get a chance to, to, to get to know personally, but we do that. Why? Because children are a gift, even children who live across the globe. And that's why we're also grateful that we get a chance to partner with an organization like Safe Families. You see, Safe Families provides support for families in our own city, in Philadelphia and beyond, who are going through crisis, right? Families with financial crisis or going through sickness or even facing homelessness themselves. In fact, in just a few moments, we're going to hear from Joe and Lisa, right, who are applying to be a host family for Safe Families, and they want to tell us about their decision and even how we can be getting involved. And we love that. We want more of us to get involved. Why? Because all children are a gift, children in our city outside of these walls. In fact, uh, Helene Coopersmith, right, is here. She's a representative from Safe Families. She has a table set up in the back. You should get more information. Find out how you can directly get involved. We would love for you to do that. We thank God for that partnership. And finally, we're also praying that Seven Mile Road would see many families getting involved in foster care and adoption. Did you know that at any, any given moment in Philadelphia, there are about 6,000 children in foster care? About 6,000. In fact, Philadelphia has the highest per capita rate of children being placed in foster care of any major city in the country. The highest per capita rate. And that's why we're so glad for parents like Sergio and Deris they're able to do what they're doing. In fact, we'll get a chance to hear from Sergio and Doris in a while, and they'll tell us about their experiences as foster care parents. Seven Mile Road, this is what we're trying to say. All children are a gift, not just the children within these four walls, but in our city, in our country, and across the world. And so we are genuinely asking God that he would give us more love for them. And so that's the question, right? What does more love for our children look like? But well, the psalm gives us two simple thoughts, two things that he wants us to consider, two quick things that he wants us to see. The psalmist says this. He says, you and I can love our children more by doing two things. One, by working hard, believing that God is sovereign. Working hard, believing that God is sovereign, and then sleeping well, believing that this sovereign God loves you. I know some of you are like, let's just skip to the second one. Let's figure out how I can love my children more by sleeping more, right? That would be great. We'll get there. Give it a moment. But let's consider this first one first. Working hard, believing that God is sovereign. Look at verse 1. It says, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Again, when you first read this, it's a little bit confusing because you're just like, I thought we were talking about raising children and children being a gift for a second. But now we're talking about building houses and watching over cities. Why are we switching the content? But you see, as one commentator said, it may be confusing for us because we're almost putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable, 
right, when we're reading this text. You see, the, the emphasis of verse 1 isn't on houses and cities. No, it's, it's emphasizing building and watching. That's the emphasis of this first, uh, first verse. Or another way to say it is, it's emphasizing creating and protecting. Creating and protecting. You know, one commentator helped me to see that those two words, create and protect, it basically sums up the entirety of our lives. Create and protect. We create things, and then we protect things. So we create homes, for example, and then we protect our homes. Or we create income, and then we work hard to protect our income. Or we create cities, and then we work hard to protect our cities. And Seven Mile Road, we also create children, and then we work hard to protect our children. And this is what you need to realize. That's not a random thing. We don't do that kind of arbitrarily. Actually, the reason why we do that is because it's a reflection of God and what he does. I mean, consider it for a moment, right? Think about from Genesis 1 onward, what have we seen God do? He created the world, and he protects the world. He creates people, and he protects people. He creates the church, and then he protects the church. You see, we do what we do because God does what God does. We were image bearers. We are image bearers. We were created in his image, and so we do those things because he does those things. But you see, there's one huge difference between the way that God works and the way that we work. God, when he creates and protects, he does so with complete sovereignty. But when you and I create and protect, we do so with many, many, many limitations. God creates with complete sovereignty, and we do so with many limitations. You see, sovereignty is just a, a fancy word that means that God alone, God alone is all-powerful and all-controlling. He's completely powerful and completely in control. You see, those descriptions, it can't be used for anybody else. That doesn't belong to anybody else. There's no one like him. When he creates something, it will come into being. Or when he protects something, it will be guarded. But you and I, we can't claim those things. We can create things, but one day they may come to an end. Or we can protect things, but one day they will still face harm and danger. You see, God alone is sovereign in his creating and protecting. And believing this simple truth is one of the most important ways that you can love your children more. But here's the tension. The tension is that if we were to be honest, some of us work really hard for our children, believing that we are the ones who are sovereign instead of God. We work really hard for our kids, believing that we are the ones who are sovereign over their lives instead of God. What do I mean? Here's an example. You may believe that you are sovereign over your child's life if you spend more time instructing them and disciplining them and providing for them than you do praying for them. You might think that you are sovereign over your kid's life if you spend more time instructing them and disciplining them and providing for them than you do praying for them. Now listen, I want you to hear that what I'm stressing here isn't the duration of time, the amount of time. 
I'm not saying that you need to be spending nine hours praying and only seven hours taking care of your kids. That would kind of defeat the point, right? At that point, you would have to like, hire a babysitter to watch your kids so that you can be upstairs in your room praying. That, that completely doesn't work. That's not the point that we're trying. My point is that you should be asking yourself whether deep down you are banking on your rules and your plans and your parenting techniques and your provision for the ultimate well-being of your children. You see, maybe deep down you believe that your children will be fine. They will be fine because your approach to parenting is so rock solid. Brother, sister, if you hardly find yourself praying with specificity, and I want to stress that, I don't just mean the simple prayer when you lay them down to bed, but if you don't pray with specificity regarding the, the particular needs of their life, the particular things that you're observing in their life, if you don't find yourself praying in that way, well, it may be an indication of the fact that you believe yourself to be sovereign over their lives. It may indicate that you're trying to play the role of God over their lives. And I need you to hear that all the rules and plans and, and techniques and provision in the world will not make us God. It won't. In fact, the psalmist says it's vanity. All of it is vanity. Unless the Lord builds a house, the builders build in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen watch in vain. All of it will be in vain. Psalm 127 is saying, do you want to love your kids more? You can do that. I can do that by believing and living like God is sovereign over our kids' lives and not us. Can I just tell you, this week, even as I was preparing for this, how convicting this was for Sharon and I. Because you see, to be honest, this is how I tend to operate. As we face issues with our kids, or their behavior, or concerns about their well-being, whatever may be going on, you know what we'll do? We'll have conversations, we'll come up with these colorful charts that you can put onto the, the kitchen fridge, Right? We'll lecture them, we'll yell at them as well in an angry tone, we'll discipline them. But I realize that we're hardly praying with specificity regarding their needs. Now, I don't think that I would have said, I'm not praying because I think that I'm, uh, I'm sovereign over their lives. Because intellectually, I know better than that. My theology is better than that. But functionally, that's how I am living. I'm banking on my rules, my plans, and my techniques to build up and to protect my children. And I think this week God reminded me that I need to repent. I need to repent of that false belief. And maybe some of you do also. Some of wrote, we can love our children more by working hard, believing that God is sovereign. And then the final way that we can love our children more is by doing this, sleeping well, believing that this sovereign God loves you. Look at verse 2. It says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Do you see, you know, do you know what happens when people who are not sovereign try to live like they're sovereign? They tend to overwork. Right? They find themselves working twice as hard to take control of their lives because they don't feel like they have control. And the second thing that happens is that they are constantly living in anxiety. In fact, those two things often go together. They feel like uh, they need to work hard, but they're also working hard in, in a lot of anxiety. Now listen, I want to repeat again. Right, This scripture is not trying to teach against hard work. 
scripture all over the place. Ecclesiastes 9, Colossians 3 will tell us things like, whatever we do, we should do with all of our might. So God's not against that. He wants us to work hard. There are very legitimate reasons, in fact, that people will sometimes wake up very early and go to work or go, uh, wake, uh, stay up very late and, and, and work. There's very legitimate reasons why people will do that. But I guess what the psalmist is warning against here is not hard work, but anxious work. He's warning against anxious work. What the psalmist is warning against is hard work that's rooted and drenched in anxiety. It's, it's when we work being convinced of this idea that unless I do it, it's not going to get done. Right? We work in that way. Or it's laboring with this belief that the things that I don't have control over are actually doomed to fail. That's how we live. So what, what could that look like? For some of us, anxious work can look like you finding yourself staying up all throughout the night, maybe even waking up in the middle of the night, just anxious, lying in bed, tossing and turning. And you can't go to sleep because you're constantly worrying about your child's safety or your child's future or their health or their well-being. And this is just kind of a nagging thing that constantly is on your mind. And you find yourself working anxiously all throughout the night just by not being able to sleep. That's anxious work. Or anxious work can look like this. You could feel like you have to enroll your kid in every possible activity in the world, right? So they do sports and, and tutoring and extra tutoring and instruments and, and varsity crocheting, anything you could possibly think of because you are convinced, you're convinced that if they're not well-rounded, they won't be successful in the future and what will happen to them? And so what do you do? You find yourself running this rat race. You're running from place to place to place to place because you have all these things that you want them to do because if you don't do it, what will come of their future? That's anxious work. Or anxious work is when you feel like you have to work ridiculous amounts of hours each week. And so maybe you find yourself gone in the morning and gone at night, gone all the time because deep down maybe you believe that your child's future security is dependent on your financial stability. That's anxious work. And the psalmist is saying it's vain. It's vanity. In fact, he says this. He says, one of the holiest things that you can do tonight and every night is to go to sleep. And why are you able to do that? because you're convinced that God actually loves you. Look at the end of verse 2. He says, For he gives to his beloved sleep. You see, verse 2 is trying to tell us something, right? Not only is God sovereign over all things, but that sovereign God actually also loves you. He loves you. And that's really good news. In fact, both of those things together is what makes it good news. If he was just one of those things and not the other, it wouldn't be good news. If he was just sovereign and not loving, not good news. Just loving but not sovereign, not good news. Let me explain. You see, if God was sovereign but didn't love us, that would do us no good. For example, Jeff Bezos, right? You guys know Jeff Bezos, owner of Amazon. Jeff Bezos is worth his net worth is $111 billion. I don't even know how to write $111 billion. Like, he's worth $111 billion. He is both powerful 
and in control of many things. It's wonderful, right? He has the ability to influence and accomplish so much in this world. But here's the thing. Jeff Bezos doesn't love me. In fact, he doesn't even know that I exist. He has no clue about me. And so his power and his control are great for him, but it provides me with no comfort, no ability to rest at night. I can't go to sleep better at night because I know Jeff Bezos is powerful and in control. But you see, a God who is sovereign but did not love you would sort of be like that. It's great that God is powerful and in control of things, but if he doesn't love you, what good is that for you? You should go to sleep anxious every single night because he's just powerful for himself, not for you. But see, the opposite is true as well. If God was wonderfully loving but not sovereign, that wouldn't be good news either. You see, a God who has all the greatest desires for you and and hopes for you and wishes for you and he's fully aware of your needs and sends positive energy towards your way every single day, that could make you feel warm and fuzzy inside, but that's about it. Because you see, at the end of the day, he's powerless when it comes to your needs. At that point, God would be no different than your dog, right? I mean, your dog, it too loves you and wants the best for you, but at the end of the day, he has no real power or control over anything about your life. You see, a God who loved you but was not sovereign would be like your dog. And that's why what we read in verse 2 is amazing. You see, God is both. He is completely sovereign, and he actually really loves you as well. How do you know that? Because you see, while children are absolutely a wonderful gift to us, the greatest gift that God has ever given to you was not your children, but his child. Would you consider that? The greatest gift that God has ever given to you was his own child, his son, the son whom he loves. God watched his child, who was perfect and faithful in every way, sinless. He had done nothing wrong. He watched his child be treated like a criminal. So what? So that, so that sinful and unfaithful people like you and me can be called his sons and daughters. That's how we know God loves us. God turned his face away when his child, consider that for a moment, this is his child, his son, his only begotten son who hung on that cross. In fact, the child was screaming out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God turned his face away so that he can look at enemies like you and me in the face and genuinely call us his children. Seven Mile Road, do you want to know whether God loves you? Just look at the cross. There is no one who loves his child more than the father does. And if that's true, if he allowed all those things to be done to his son, can you imagine for one moment how deep must his love be for you and me? And so Seven Mile Road, God says, sleep. He says, sleep, go to sleep tonight. I not only give you the gift of children, I also give you the gift of sleep as a reminder that not only am I sovereign, but I also deeply love you. Let me close with this quote from John Piper. Listen to what he has to say. He says, sleep is a gift of love. 
Peaceful sleep is the opposite of anxiety. Sleep is a daily reminder from God that we are not God. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep, but Israel will, for we are not God. Once a day, God sends us to bed like patients with a sickness. The sickness is a chronic tendency to think that we are in control and that our work is indispensable. To cure us of this disease, God turns us into helpless sacks of sand once a day. How humiliating to the self-made corporate executive that he has to give up all control and become as limp as a little infant every day. Sleep is like a broken record that comes around with the same message every day. Man is not sovereign. Man is not sovereign. Man is not sovereign. Please, don't let the lesson be lost on you. God wants to be... God wants to be trusted as a great worker who never tires and never sleeps. He is not nearly so impressed with our late nights and early mornings as he is with the peaceful trust that casts all anxieties on him and sleeps. Seven Mile Road, our children are a gift to us. And God's word is telling us this morning that we can love our children more in these years to come by working hard believing that God is sovereign, and sleeping well, believing that this sovereign God actually loves you. Let's pray.